As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. This episode has been brought to you by Tristique. As a working mom of three kids under three, I'm constantly on the move and don't have time to spend hours doing my makeup. Thanks to Tristique, I look like I do. In actuality, I use just eight products for my essentials kit and I'm ready to meet clients or get dolled up for date night in five minutes flat. Each product serves more than one purpose. The mascara has a built-in eyelash curler and the blush stick, a blending brush on the other end. Brilliant, right? What I love most, being the minimalist that I am, is now my makeup bag only weighs half a pound and takes up very little space in my tote or diaper bag or glove compartment. Log on to tracedeek.com to shop their latest collections of lip crayons, shadows, and more. And be sure to use my code MOMSENSE, that's in all caps, to receive 20% off your order. Give it a try, girlfriend. You'll look chic with Tracedeek. As the adage goes, it takes money to make money. For female entrepreneurs, that money can be elusive when starting a business or trying to grow one. According to a Forbes article written by Carrie Hannon, the author of Never Too Old to Get Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Starting a Business Midlife, her friend Linda Abraham, who's a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and startup board member, told her that the biggest hurdle for female entrepreneurs is, and I quote, raising capital. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Hannon interviewed several women in the early stages of starting ventures, and each said that having enough seed money in the bank is what was slowing them down. A few said that they considered launching a crowdfunding campaign, raising cash online through a campaign and inviting people to support it, but they were nervous about taking this non-traditional approach. On today's show, I'm joined by Kate Anderson of iFundWomen, a popular crowdfunding platform for female entrepreneurs. Kate Anderson is a leader in generating change and gender equality within the private fundraising space. As co-founder and operations director of iFundWomen, she has driven millions of dollars into the hands of female founders. iFundWomen's flexible crowdfunding platform combines a pay-it-forward model, expert startup coaching, professional video production, and a private community for its entrepreneurs, all with the goal of helping female entrepreneurs launch and grow better businesses. Kate lives in Boston with her husband and their three kids, Maggie, JR, and Audrey. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on That's Total Mom Sense. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your background. Mm -hmm. So um, I graduated from college in the middle of the recession, went to Sweden with my then boyfriend, now husband, where he played hockey, Mm -hmm. and I was completely miserable because I couldn't find a job. (laughs) From there, moved to Washington, D.C., and really started my career in commercial real estate development 
a company called Heinz, which is an international company. It was a great place to start working because it was very professional, very buttoned up. It had this long legacy and tradition of excellence in everything that they do. Heinz is almost like the the Goldman Sachs of real estate development Mm -hmm. and worked there for about four years and loved really so much about it. I loved the tradition that they had, the commitment to excellence, really operational excellence. And from there, I had a baby and my husband's a doctor and he had to, uh, we had to move because of his training. So we moved back to New Jersey where I'm from originally and moved in with my parents for a year, which was his suggestion and wish over mine and loved it. We had such a phenomenal year. And it was in that year that I connected with Karen Kahn. Karen was a former Googler. She um, then worked at YouTube and AOL. And I saw in the local paper that she had started a company called VPRAD. And it was a company, it was a video conversation platform for women. She was really committed to trying to pay female creators for the video content that they were creating. I saw it and I really loved everything about the brand, the ethos. And I just cold emailed her and said, I love what you're doing. I'd love to connect. Um, She wrote back that day and I actually went and met her and spoke to her for several hours that night. And my husband always jokes, I came home and was like buzzing from head to toe of excitement. (laughs) So I came on at that company to work really in like community management and did it very part-time. I was mostly home with my daughter and doing that part-time. During that time, I moved to Boston, worked at VProud for another year. And like most startups, and as you had mentioned before, capital was really an issue. As a last-ditch effort to save the company, we did a crowdfunding campaign to for a video production series we were creating. Then realized in doing that, that crowdfunding was a great way for female entrepreneurs to raise capital for their businesses, but so few women knew about it. Mm. Even though it had been around for about a decade and the idea of crowdfunding itself has been around for over a hundred years. The Statue of Liberty could really be said to be one of like the most popular crowdfunded physical entities that we're familiar with. But the Statue Mm. of Liberty was crowdfunded and the average contribution amount I think was a nickel by hundreds of people. But the process of crowdfunding is raising small amounts of money from lots of people that you know to create something, to get your business off the ground, to build out your website. Karen talked to myself and um, the other woman who worked with us, uh, Sarah Summers, and presented this idea of creating a crowdfunding platform for female entrepreneurs. Mind you, I had had my second son, JR. So when I had him, we were a company called VProud. And when I got back from my very generous three-month maternity leave, we were a company called iFund Women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's my next child. I said before she was born, I said, I have to come back to iFund Women. This is too good of a company not to come back to. Yes, yes. So it started out with you and Karen and Sarah building what is now iFund Women, right? Yep, that's exactly right. So when we had worked at VProud, Karen was the CEO and Sarah and I both worked there. I worked in an operations role. Sarah worked in a creative role and Karen was the CEO and really the visionary. And then when we started iFund Women, we realized this was really the three of us starting this thing together. We'd worked together each for a few years. Sarah had been there before me and Karen asked us to both come on as co-founders. She understood that 
running a company by yourself is really hard and scary and and you need other people to be where you can really be transparent with them and look to them for counsel and guidance and make decisions together. And so when we started iFundWomen, we started it as three co-founders. So we had been entrepreneurs at our previous company. We knew how hard it was. We knew how challenging it was. And we were really missing resources. We were missing. It was really challenging to get capital. It was hard to find connections to other people in the exact same boat as you. Um, it was hard to find mentors, all of those things. So when we were thinking about iFundWomen, we thought, what if we created a crowdfunding platform that's not just capital, right? It's not just you go up and you put a campaign up and you get your money and you leave. That really is a community of women that are all working together to elevate themselves. And I think of like that great meme that people see where it's one woman lifting a woman up and then lifting another woman up and it's continuous. That's what we've wanted at iFundWomen. And that was kind of like our brand ethos at the beginning that we would be helping to coach women through the process. So we never want anyone to come to iFundWomen, put up a campaign and not have done any pre-work. We want to educate them about these are the steps that you need to do to be successful guide them through that process so they feel really confident. We want to serve as a team of, of like co-founders for people that are solo entrepreneurs and are really isolated and have no one to bounce their ideas off of. Um, all of yeah. the things that we were missing in the startup life, we wanted to create for other women. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you feel like, you know, we're disadvantaged um, when it comes to starting our own ventures as compared to men? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I wish that that wasn't the answer, but it's true. It is much harder for women to get access to capital than it is for men. We need to change that. There needs to be wide systemic change about it. And I think really kind of one of the first things that I see is and believe is if you can't see it, you can't know that it exists and you can't be it. And what our idea of a CEO is a, is a white man. And mm. let's move beyond that. Right. Women are starting 1,300 net new businesses every single day. Women have excellent ideas. They just are lacking the capital to get there. The capital is really um, concentrated at the top and it stays that way, right? People help out their own friends. They're, they're connecting their own friends. They're investing in their own friends. But we're at this really cool point where more women are staying in the workforce. They're staying in the workforce for longer. They have that capital. And, and I am so excited to see so many women investing in other women-led businesses, providing counsel, providing mentorship, leadership, and really providing capital. And I want to see more of that happen because it is much harder for women to raise capital than it is for men. Yes. Um, there's a statistic I want to share calculated by Ernst & Young that only 2% of women-owned businesses break that $1 million mark. Yeah. You know, do you feel like capital is the reason why? I think completely capital is the reason why. It's... Um, I was uh, talking to a woman yesterday who was at a conference and saw Sarah Blakely talking at the conference. And and I think Sarah Blakely is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But I've seen her name at every single conference. And I thought, like, we need more than just Sarah Blakely. We need to have more women that are leaders that can be a, an example in this space beyond just her. And there have been some awesome women-led companies that have reached the billion-dollar mark lately. Ditch Fix is one of them that I can think of. But we need more. We need more representation at the billion-dollar mark, at the 
million dollar mark right. and, and to allow women to have businesses that are not just them, where they're employing people, where they are providing jobs, where they're giving back to the community. And the problem is a lot of them fail in the beginning. And what I found women is trying to do is to prevent that failure in the beginning. We're trying to bolster up the, uh, the women right when they're starting their businesses, get them set up for success, give them the capital boost that they need so that they're able to have a better chance of surviving. Mm-hmm. And really boost their credibility when they're in those boardrooms. Exactly. And I think one mm. of the like huge things that IFN Women does, and I know we'll get into it, but is pitch honing. If you don't have a clear pitch and you can't clearly articulate to people what your business is, what problem you're solving, who your audience is, in every situation, not just in a boardroom, but picking your kids up from school, at church, on the side of a soccer game, in an elevator, all of these different instances, if you can't tell people confidently and excitedly about your business, people are going to think you don't have a business or you're not that professional or you're not that, um, or that's going to color their first impression of you. And we want women to start off having a super strong and tight pitch so that every time they're talking about their business and they might not know who they're presenting it to, that person has a really positive feeling about their business, which is just going to enhance their their ability of, of elevating and promoting their business. Absolutely. So I want to kind of set the stage a little bit and talk about what crowdfunding is. According to Startup Nation, um, a publication online, crowdfunding has grown to mean many different things. So first, there's rewards-based crowdfunding like Kickstarter, which we all you know, know when it launched. Um, and it's where the crowd is donating rather than investing, often in exchange for some perk. And an example is early access to the product or a discounted price. But there's another option for cash-strapped entrepreneurs, and that is equity crowdfunding. It became legal in the U.S. in 2016 when President Obama signed the Jumpstart Our Business Startups, Jobs, J-O-B-S, Act. And for a fee, equity crowdfunding platforms connect startups with individuals and sometimes institutional investors who pool their money to fund for them. Um, So are these the two crowdfunding options that you're most familiar with? Yep, that's exactly right. And then I think kind of the third, even though it probably could fall in rewards-based crowdfunding, but is something like GoFundMe, where people are raising money from lots of people to cover medical costs or charity costs. So it's not related to growing your business. And there typically aren't rewards associated with it. Right, right. Okay, good to know. And now, you know, there's another article that I wanted to share on the eight tips that you should keep in mind as prerequisites to crowdfunding. And this was um, a Forbes article. So number one is be sure to have a following. Even with venture capital funders, 99% of them are investing in the person, not the business. So having a loyal following um, that knows about your company or your brand and, and has gives you that level of engagement is a great place to start. Number two, telling your story well. And as women, I mean, we have an advantage here. We're great storytellers and marketers. Um, Number three, know your audience. And that means you've got to do all that research. So you want to test, you want to make sure that your content resonates with your audience and your email list is really going to be 
the linchpin in all of this because you're connecting with your users um, through email um, mostly. Number four, figure out a realistic crowdfunding goal and timetable. So if you want to make a spreadsheet, list the basic expenses you will encounter when you launch the business, including any taxes and fees. And that way you have an idea of what your anticipated profit and loss is going to look like right off the bat. Um, number five, decide on a crowdfunding model. So fee structures differ. Know what those fees are, which brings me to number six, understand those fees. So funding on Kickstarter, no one is charged for a pledge towards a project unless the project reaches its funding goal. So if a project is successfully funded, Kickstarter charges a 5% fee to the funds collected plus payment processing, which is roughly 3 to 5%. On Indiegogo, the platform fee um, is all funds raised is 5%. So fees are deducted from the funds you actually raise and not the goal you set. And Indiegogo also charges a processing fee of 3% and 30 cents per transaction. iFundWomen um, is different from the other two. They take a 5% fee on the funds you raise. And you can feel good about that because you pay forward 20% of your profits from standard fees directly into to live campaigns on the site. In addition, credit card processing charges are approximately 2.9% and plus 30 cents, which is you know really across the board, whether it's PayPal or Venmo, per transaction. Okay, so that's the fee structure. Um, the number seven is get professional help. And that's, again, something where women can help. You don't want to have a sloppy site or perhaps no video at all to tell your story. Um, at the end of the day, it's a PR campaign just as much as it's a fundraising one. And number eight on this list is don't count on crowdfunding to be the only way that you raise funds. And I mean, I think that makes total sense. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. So I thought this was a really um, hard hitting list. Um, is there anything that was overlooked or are, they, are there any points on here that you'd want to extrapolate on for the listeners, Kate? The one thing that I would uh, that I would elaborate on is people want to do a lot of outreach online and online is phenomenal to reach out to people and to get a lot of people in your funnel. But IRL, which stands for in real life, really works well. Um, mm. and, and personal outreach to people. And I, whenever I talk to entrepreneurs on the phone, I say reach out to people in ways they can't ignore. So if you send a mass of a post on Facebook, there's no guarantee that you and I, who are best friends with each other, that I'm going to see the post. If you send a Facebook direct message, an easier chance that I'm going to see it to say, hey, Kate, I saw I'm doing this thing. I thought you'd be interested. Here's why. Text messaging really converts. Um, personalized emails, phone calls. That The personal approach really works is telling someone like, I am asking for your help. And we all want to help. We all want to feel like we can help and we can be of service. And it can feel less that way if it's a mass outreach like you mm. know if you have time take a look at this instead of saying I was really glad to support your marathon last fall I think you'd love to see what I'm doing now I'm counting on your support people want to feel like they can do it and then at a level that's comfortable with them for them right right absolutely um and so what would you say is you know I fund women's niche so our niche is really helping women from the beginning days of starting their business to really like looking at scaling and growing their business. What, how we differentiate ourselves from other platforms is the coaching and connections and community that are built into iFundWomen and are really the ethos of every single thing that we do. 
we know that when women participate in the iFund Women Method, which is our proprietary coaching program, they raise exponentially more money than women that go it themselves. And that mm. women who invest in a professional video end up raising more money as well. And iFund Women, we wanted iFund Women to really be the one-stop shop for both preparing for your crowdfunding campaign, but then elevating your business both before, during, and after your crowdfunding campaign. That we don't see ourselves as, you know, you run a crowdfunding campaign and then you're done. Most of our customers are coming back and they're saying, we want to stay in your funnel. We want to be supporting female entrepreneurs on your platform and funding them. We want to be coaching them and serving as mentors. We need continually need coaching for now going out and raising a seed round. And they see iFund Women as the place to do all of those things. Yes. Um, and so just to you know put it out there, especially for those who are actively seeking a crowdfunding platform right now, you know, we all know about the others on the market, Kickstarter, um, there's women you should fund and Indiegogo. But I feel like what you're saying is with iFund Women, um, for the female entrepreneurs out there, you can provide them with this sense of community and coaching and really helping them tell their brand story in a compelling way, in addition to the funding part of it. Exactly, exactly. And iFund Women's average crowdfunding raise is $6,300. That's five times more than the industry average. So we know what we're doing works. Wow, wow. Um, and now who is that ideal client? One of the things that I think is really cool about iFund Women is we talk to entrepreneurs that are in the service industry. So other crowdfunding platforms are can be a little bit more focused on creating a physical product, you know, be that an album, a movie, a line of t-shirts, something physical that people can get in exchange for their contribution. iFund Women, we've opened ourselves up to service-based businesses. So maybe you're creating an app or maybe you have a financial services company or maybe you have a nail salon and it's hard for you to get a loan for your business, iFund Women is talking to those women. So we're talking to women across all different um, industries. We're topic agnostic. And I think that definitely differentiates us from other platforms. Mm -hmm. A lot of women have said, I don't have some sort of physical product. How can I crowdfund? And we really help them to think strategically about their business, about their goals, and about what it is they're trying to raise money for, and then really help them with the messaging that they need to get it out to their audience. That's so cool. And at what stage do you work with these entrepreneurs? And is there like a sweet spot time, whether it's, you know, taking it to mass market and scaling or... So many entrepreneurs come to us when they're starting a business and they say, okay, what do I need to get started? And we can really help them in thinking through that strategy, how they're going to message it to people, who their customers are, getting their first sale. So there's definitely like a sweet spot there of like new beginners. But then there's this space of like entrepreneurs who've been in business for a few years and now are ready to tell people about the business. And maybe they've been doing a part time while their kids are in school and now they want to take it full time. And so they've been a little bit more established, but now they need like an upfront influx of capital to really scale the business or to do whatever the next thing is. Um, and then we have women maybe like five to seven years, like, hey, mama ran a crowdfunding campaign on iFund Women. They'd been around for about seven years at the time that they ran it. And they raised $100,000 from their community. So we have people who've, who've had some more longevity in their businesses but now the crowdfunding campaign is to give them the upfront capital they need to do some whatever specific goal that they have. Right. Okay. So how does the 
crowdfunding model work? Yeah. So before anybody starts a crowdfunding campaign, the first thing we say that they need to do is they really need to map their network. What does that mean? That means writing down every single person that you know, oh, all wow. of your friends on Facebook, all of your friends on Instagram, the people in your email list, the people that go to your kid's school, everybody that you know and have interacted with. And you then sort that list and think, okay, who's going to support my campaign? Who, um, at what level will they support? You know, how am I communicating with this person? Do we Instagram DM? Do I have their email address? Do we text? So that you start sorting the group of how am I going to be reaching out to these people? That's the first thing. So that you have an idea to say, okay, I have a thousand people in my list. Realistically, 5% of them are going to back my campaign. And then you can kind of figure out how much you're going to raise from there. To The majority of funders to your crowdfunding campaign will be people that you know or people that know people that you know, right? This is where like six mm-hmm. degrees of separation comes into uh, handy. People only support campaigns that are typically raising money. If you, someone were to send you a campaign and they've raised zero dollars, you're not going to be inspired to support that campaign. And so we really help people in the earliest days of getting immediate funders right off the bat so that when they send it out to the masses, they have lots of people in their network already. And that engenders trust, right? If you see a campaign that's raised $10,000 of their $30,000 goal in the first few days, you're going to to be more inclined to support it because you think, okay, they've done a lot of work. All of these other people are um, funding this campaign. I want to be doing the same thing too. Right, right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And can you speak to the email marketing and coaching element, do you kind of take on their email marketing for them or yeah, like, or even um, how does the coaching work? The majority of work from a crowdfunding campaign will come from an entrepreneur. And that's the case for all funding. If you want to get funding for your business, the person who's going to need to do that is the CEO, is the person running the business. That's who people are going to trust to give their money to. So the idea that you can put something up and people are just going to randomly support it, even though you haven't told them about it is, is, is just a myth and it's a dream. Um, we call them magical money elves and say that they don't exist. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the, the outreach will come from you or your team of people that you've enlisted to help support your campaign. Your second question about coaching. So Women has a whole coaching program that is on-demand coaching, not just crowdfunding coaching, business coaching. You can pick calls on the topics of your choosing in areas from marketing, Google Analytics, Facebook ads, um, understanding your customer, sales, all of these different areas lives um, separately from iFundWomen, but most of the entrepreneurs that are going through our coaching are then going to raise capital on iFundWomen. But starting off with our coaching program is the best possible scenario to raising the most amount of money on iFundWomen because it means that you're investing in yourself, you're doing the pre-work and the, that you need to do to be successful, and you have expert coach to bounce ideas off of. So you're not building this business in a funnel. Um, You're building it with other people that are helping you to really accelerate the growth of your business. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Can you share some of the member success stories? Yeah, we have so many awesome member success stories. Um, (laughs) So one of my favorite is a woman named Lauren Beasley. She's from Nashville, Tennessee. She created a summer camp for kids with special needs in Nashville. She put her campaign up and in two days, she got funded. She raised $10,000 and she realized, oh my gosh, there's such a need for this. Several months later, her customers were kind of banging her door down saying, this needs to not just be a summer camp. This needs to be a full year dance studio for kids with special needs. So she comes back to iFundWomen. She had gone through the iFundWomen network mapping that we were talking about. Her goal now was to raise $100,000. 
And she raised about $45,000. At that point, she had reached out to Carrie Dore, who is the um, founder of Pure Bar. So Lauren was a Pure Bar instructor on the side. And Lauren kind of just had this pipe dream of how cool would it be if Carrie Dore supported my campaign? Um, mm. You know, maybe she'll give me $100 or something. Carrie, she sent her the campaign. And at that point, she'd raised 45 k from like 150 people. Carrie Dore said, I want to meet you. Will you fly out to Denver to meet with my husband and me? And she flew out and Carrie Dore wrote her a 50K check because she had seen the success that she had in Life and Women with her first campaign, with the traction of her second campaign. And she wanted to be a part of that. And I recommend everybody follow at Move Inclusive on Instagram. Their videos are so awesome. There are so many examples like Lauren, but I love Lauren's. It feels like she did the work. She prepared. She had started this thing um, with the community. The community wanted more of it. She provided more of it. It's such an awesome success story. Yeah, that is. Wow. Do you find that like it's mostly those who are solo entrepreneurs that are on the platform that are doing this? Or is it like those who are established businesses that have teams already in place? Mm -hmm. So what we know is uh, teams with co-founders end up raising more money. And it kind of makes sense. You have a bigger network. You have more people that you can reach out to. You have someone that can actually run the business and somebody focusing on the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, Multi-gender teams perform really well on iFundWomen. Diversity improves all things. Um, so it's not just solo fan founders. We have lots of, of co-founders. Right. Okay. Um, if you can just break down the membership model, are there tiers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Us. So we have um, three tiers in our membership model. The first is called the Gecko. It's a uh, $9 membership which, and it just has access to our workshop. So it's for somebody who wants to pay and is a really good e-learner. The second is the founder, which is kind of our bread and butter, which is somebody who wants to sign up for a monthly coaching. They have access to two private coaching sessions a month. They pick the topic and is somebody who's kind of focused on growing their business, but might not want to sign up for a year. That's a monthly plan. And then the our most popular is the Goal Getter, which we just launched in November. And this is really for a woman or person who is saying, I want to commit to really scaling my business this year. The um, Goal Getter kicks off with a goal setting call for the year. And then you have quarterly accountability check-ins. So you might have said, okay, my goal is to be huge on Instagram. We help you quantify what's huge. Is that a thousand followers? Is that 5,000 followers? Okay. If you said it's 5,000 followers, you know, we're one quarter into the year, we're going to give you the actionable steps that you need to get there. And then with the goal getter, you get three private calls a month on the topic of your choosing. So it's really someone who's, who is investing in themselves and their business. Mm, Yeah. And I love that you touched on the way that you set goals. Um, you know, I subscribe to the iFund Women newsletter, of course, and there was um, one that was sent out by Zaina Muna, um, who's your director of business development, right? And she talked about just having a clear vision for 2020. Um, I love that, you know, it's like upon everyone's using, but that 2020 vision that we're all seeking now. And she said, you should set smart goals. And I thought this was really just brilliant. So SMART being the acronym, S stands for specific, M for measurable, A for achievable, 
R for relevant and T for time bound. And so, um, like you mentioned in your example, if you say, I just, I want to have, you know, um, a bigger social media presence. Okay. That's great. But to make that, um, objective, a smart goal, you could say something like, I want to grow my business Instagram account, which is specific by 2000 followers, which is measurable by posting more frequently and engaging with new accounts that's achievable because my ideal client um, mainly uses Instagram relevant over the course of the year, time bound. So it's just, I love that there's you know a strategy when you're working with the coaches that you have on your team. I love this. And you- honestly, whenever people talk about the goal getter, I think like, I want to sign up for the goal getter. I want Zaina to be my coach. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's great. Um, how many coaches do you have on your team? Yeah. So um, everybody on our team coaches, they're trained in different areas and different specialties of coaching. And we have 15 members of our team on our team now. Wonderful. Wow. And um, do you offer like exploratory calls just so that someone can kind of get a taste of what it's all about? Yep. So we offer, so every Thursday at 1 PM, we have a free webinar, which really walks you through what is crowdfunding? What is iFund women? And then we offer free intro calls for people that have, you know, gone through and looked at our coaching and maybe are saying, okay, I'm deciding between this plan and this plan would love to know, and would love to talk to a coach about my specific business. Oh, that's great. Do you find that it's true now that you you know, have built iFund Women and you've connected with so many different um, female entrepreneurs at various stages of their um, ventures that like angel investors kind of all know each other and want to invest in the same people and businesses? Yeah. So we we definitely are existing in this awesome um, ecosystem of female entrepreneur, um, which means I think you kind of are running into some of the same angel investors. I would love that network to be expanded. I would love to not see the same names over and over again and have that network be even bigger because more women have more opportunities to invest their capital going forward. It's an awesome group to be a part of, but it's a group that definitely needs to be grown. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And what is it like, you know, working with so many powerhouse women? It's been first and foremost, it's been really fun. Um, All three of us have very different personalities. Like Karen's a real visionary. She is um, really creative and forward thinking. I'm like, my job is operations and I do a good job of staying in my lane because I'm way more conservative and way more um, kind of focused on operationalizing our company. And um, Sarah's are really focused on being creative and growing that aspect of our business. And those different ways that we work represent the different ways that we uh, communicate and process and deal with each other. And we really love each other a lot. We really have a fun time together and we really are growing together. I think we started something where it was the three of us and now there's 15 people. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of continuing to understand what's the best way to communicate and how to how to continue to work together as we're scaling our company. And I, I really love those challenges. I think it's exciting. I think that you really get the best growth in and closeness and relationships when you have to work through challenges together. There are so many synergies in my mind of 
running a startup and being a parent. Um, Mm -hmm. You become an expert at the phase that you used to be at, and then you're at a new phase and you're (laughs) like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. And then that can cause closeness or friction with your partner, um, all of those things. And and I think it's really exciting to see like the growth that can come from any time, um, the growth that can come out of that. I think it's really, it's really awesome to have a relationship where it's constantly growing and being challenged and having new aspects and, and avenues as a part of it. I am really grateful to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm, absolutely. As a female entrepreneur, you also have to kind of network for yourself and for iPhone women. And I mean, we met through Hey Mama, which is truly a badass league of professional women um, and mothers. And there's NABO, the National Association of Women Business Owners, Elevate, BNI. There's so many networking organizations out there. Which ones are you a part of? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're both a member of Hey Mama, which is absolutely phenomenal. I am a member of Dreamers and Doers, which is another online community focused mostly around female entrepreneurs that has been so valuable um, to me. And also The Wing. I think kind of the the thing that is... um, so important to me is making that investment in yourself professionally saying like, I'm going to allocate my resources here because this is going to help me grow professionally. And there are so many awesome things I love about working at a startup that it can also be challenging because you don't have like a huge corporation where you would have a lot of different people in higher levels that um, can educate you. So for me, I have to teach myself a lot of the things that I'm doing. And I really count on, um, I really count on those organizations to help me to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's amazing how, you know, it's like that quote, um, or that hashtag, if you will, stronger together. Totally. We are, we are. And I love seeing that manifest. Um, I mean, especially with relationships that are like made in adulthood, you would think, you know, it's just, you have to have a history to feel um, close to someone and have someone truly support you. But even now as mothers, when we have no time (laughs) to ourselves, um, we're still making those connections. It's really nice to see it. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's so awesome. And it's so important. It's so important to have people that you're connecting with that are helping you to not only like, you know, be a friend, but also to be um, a lifelong connection. And frankly, like men have had this for so long, these business connections. And I can't speak to every single working mother, but a lot of the working mothers I know, they're getting up, they're getting their kids out the door to school, they're going to work, and then they're rushing out of work at the end of the day to get back to their kids. And I remember you mentioning this in the Hey Mama podcast, like you don't have those opportunities again to go out and do happy hour at the end of work or that networking stuff. So right. you have to find community in different ways, but you have to find it. Like, like women crazy that we need it. Um, Mm -hmm. and we need it to accelerate our business and our growth and investing in it has been really one of the best investments, um, I've made in personally. Yeah, absolutely. So could you highlight some of the, um, businesses and partners that you work with at iPhone women? Yeah. So we have worked with so many awesome partners, including Girl Boss, Female Founder Collective, Hair Hub, The Coven, The Wing, Hey Mama, which we're both members of, Freelancing Females, Ladies Get Paid, We Boss, The Riveter, Alice, so many awesome, um, awesome different companies that we're partnering with that are kind of all in the game of helping women and helping women entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. Oh, that's excellent. And so for anyone who um, is already a member of those communities, it's nice that like 
there's going to be some crossover and overlap there and you're going to feel like at home, you're going to know people who are in both, which is nice. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I want to just get into your own motherhood journey. Um, you mentioned how it was after your second that I fund women was born in between there, <laughs> between yeah. your second and third. Yep. Um, but what was it like having kids for you? Um, what was it like having kids for me? I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. I mean, relatively speaking, I think my husband and I had kids young, but not really all that young, but my daughter Maggie was born when I was 27. Then Jair was 29. Then Audrey was 31. We kind of like banged them out. Um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what, that's what I always knew that I wanted to do. I always saw myself as being a mom. It has been, you know, easier than expected in some ways. And then like every mom, like painfully hard in other ways, like <laughs> in ways you can never imagine that it's just soul crushing. So it's been a little bit of both, but, uh, but my husband is a phenomenal and true partner. And we have an au pair, Amy, who is a phenomenal and true partner. And the three of us really work together to parent our kids And um, we got a good thing going for now. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, as moms of three, we are in a league all our own. I mean, just kind of trying to just parent three very different individuals and distinct personalities is difficult, you know. Um, And so what is it like having three for you? And what's the dynamic at home. Yeah. So we have um, a girl, then a boy, then a girl. And it is, you're, you hit it on the head. And I think every parent will say the same thing. Every kid is so different. And yet that's so surprising to us. Um, <laughs> but they are, and they deal with things differently and they need to be addressed differently. And my kind of ethos, and I'm one of four, my mom said this is, parents did this growing up is you have general rules for the household. And then each kid has to be handled differently. My oldest brother mm-hmm. always needed to really have have like a strong talking to that was the only way that he ever paid attention to anything and my sister uh, who's the youngest was if you raised your voice a little bit she would start crying and then kind of my brother and I were in between that and I see that with my kids that they have very different pain thresholds they have different skills and talents they have totally different interests they have different physical needs uh, different needs for being outside um, so many different things and I think really the best thing that we've done is just like watch them and understand what they need and I've never been a believer of uh, fairness means everybody gets the same thing. That's a ridiculous concept, I believe. Um, I think that you have to look at each kid and assess what that kid needs and make decisions based on what they need and what's best for the family, but not like, well, we did this for Maggie, so therefore we're doing it for the rest of the kids. Like, you know, you might have done things for one kid because you had a certain level of money at that point, and then you don't have the same level of money, so you make a different decision. Or vice right. versa, you might, you know, start off having kids and not have as much money and then have more money and spend it differently on kids. And there's no part of me that feels like each kid needs to get the exact same thing. I will feel like my husband and I have been successful parents if we've given our kids what they've needed, which doesn't mean giving them all the exact same thing. Yes. Oh, that's really, really great advice. Um, And what about you and your husband? Do you find that there's um, a pretty kind of fair division of labor there? Um, uh, yes and no. He has a job that has more hours away from the house than I do. He leaves the house every morning at 630. So I am basically always doing mornings by myself. Mm. And then he works a lot of weekends. So um, I definitely do more of the home time than he does. But there are plenty of things that he does that I would never handle. Like I would never break leaves. It would never even occur to me to do it. It wouldn't like, <laughs> and it, he, and I made this observation to myself, like it wouldn't occur to him to clean 
the bathroom, he would never notice that it was messy. The, right. We could have like 12 inches of snow on the sidewalk and I, and I would never think, oh, I should shovel the snow. <laughs> I only do it if he texts me like, you need to shovel the sidewalk. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think we've gotten into a good rhythm. We are um, have become some such better communicators. We've been together since we're 20. Um, and we've really grown so much in that period of time, obviously. But we've become much better communicators with each other about what each of us needs. And I think we both know that ma- what makes us both happy is having individual time, time by ourselves to do whatever we want, and having time to be together, like go out to dinner, go work out together, that time together apart from our kids. And then that time where we have it, like time by ourselves really is a key for both of us to be like successful parents, successful in our jobs, and really most importantly, like successful in our marriage. Yes, absolutely. What are some of the lessons that you're trying to impress upon your three kids? Well, it's so funny. Like we have so many different messages that are being delivered to different genders. Um, So I know you had uh, Rashma Sujani on your podcast. I read her book, Brave Not Perfect. And so many of the themes in that book resonate with me about um, how girls are afraid of making mistakes. They really are. And I see it with my daughter. And it's funny because, well, I view myself this way. Like I make so many mistakes and I'm not really so afraid of making them. And I never have ever strived for perfection, but she really does. And so we ordered, we did a scholastic book club the other week and I've ordered all books that are like, I'm not perfect making, Mm. um, uh, (laughs) making, like making mistakes, how to like get through this thing. And, um, and, but for her, that's something she really struggles with. So it's something my husband and I are both working on using language, like, oh man, like I, you know, I made this huge mistake at work today, but this is what I did. And really trying to like teach resiliency and not also allowing crying at every moment. In time. <laughs> so that's exactly. like our focus with her and with my son, right? So like we have this constant barrage of information in the press about men and ideas of women's bodies and things like that. And he's only three, but I feel like with him, I'm really focused on like respecting someone's body. When someone says they don't want to be hugged or they don't want to play that game, knowing that like no means no, that just comes from, I guess, sensitivities of like what we hear in the press all of the time. But I feel like I'm really focused on trying to teach him to like, look at somebody. If they don't look happy with how you're acting, then they're not happy and stop what you're doing. Um, It hasn't really worked so far, but hopefully, Hopefully, run. <laughs> but I think it's really like under he's so much more physical and he has a need to be like physically hugging and touching and always wanting to be like close in a way that um, my girls aren't. So is really kind of teaching about like respecting boundaries. And I think like all of those conversations that are going to be like lifelong skills start at an early age. And, and you can talk till you're blue in your face. But I think the kids also see how you act and how you behave and and trying to like understand that parents set the best example and then my daughter Audrey's one and a half and so we're just working on like snuggling her and kissing her (laughs) also working on less things with her yeah yeah and you know what I feel like just being around her siblings she's gonna learn so much just by that you know like environment that she's in yeah she's so tough like so 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 tough my son just like picks her up and pummels her and I'm like oh my gosh and she's just (laughs) smiling and laughing that's so cute you know what I have to say my third is the same and maybe it's like 
characteristic of baby number three, just always like just at baseline, very happy. And then, you know, otherwise like ecstatic (laughs) if you're like, yeah, interacting with him. Yeah. And if they're, if their sibling, if his siblings are like playing a game with him or, you know, because usually they just want to play with each other and like not really interact with their baby brother. Um, but when, when they are, he's just like over the moon, like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, it's, it's the cutest thing. It really Um, is like, yeah, I completely agree. It's so nice. And then it gets easier on us too. I think, you know, when you have the first two, that's where there's definitely more growing pains, but by the third, you're more chill as a parent. You already know what to expect. The milestones are like, yeah, yeah, I know what's coming next. And it's like, you actually get to enjoy them without the anxiety. No, I think you're right. And I, I think that um, I think that the household, going back to kind of what I was saying about fairness, your household is just going to shift no matter what. So my daughter, who's the oldest, her experience of being a baby is very different than Audrey's experience. So you can't kind of be striving for the fairness for them to have exactly the same thing. Because when you have one, you can dedicate all of your time to them. And when you have three, you can't. And so there's yeah. no point in beating yourself up about it. It's just realizing like, okay, this is where we are here. And then we, my husband and I have been really successful and we're really focusing on spending one-on-one time with kids. So, um, so he sometimes has to go in for, to work on the weekend for a couple of hours. He takes my daughter and she just like works next to him. <laughs> um, or we go on trips. One of us will take a kid on a trip for a weekend. It's a great way to like see one of our friends and go away for with one of our kids for the weekend. But really having that one-on-one time, especially when you have more than one kid is so important. And it's so much fun for parents. And then it's fun for the person who's at home and has a different um, sibling dynamic at home. It really, I think, helps to kind of foster their own identity and their own individual relationship with, with um, a kid. Yeah, absolutely. When was a time that you can share with us where you trusted your mom's sense? <laughs> well, this is an embarrassing one for me, but when um, we went to South Carolina with our best friends this year for vacation and my daughter got um, had been swimming all day and lied down on the couch and was completely unresponsive, like wouldn't say anything, was kind of like moving around. And I had just a complete moment of like something is seriously wrong with her. Spoiler alert, nothing was wrong with her. Um, so she's fine. Um, but I just had like that feel, which I haven't really had that feeling. I'm really not an anxious parent. My kids go to the pediatrician way less than they should when they're sick. But I just had this awful feeling that like something was wrong and it wasn't right. So against my everybody's wishes, I took her to the ER and turns out she just had a fever. Okay. <laughs> she had a really, really high fever. Um, and she'd never acted that way. She was five at that point. So I'd seen enough fever. She'd never acted that way before, but I just ha- kept having this like thing in the back of my head that told me like something's seriously wrong with her. You have to take her to the hospital. And despite kind of other people pushing me back on it, I thought like I could never live with myself if if every bone in my body was telling me take this kid to the hospital and you didn't. I would have right. felt like I couldn't have slept. And um and when we got back from the hospital that night, everybody was um I told everybody at the table we were there with a few couples. I said nobody is allowed to tease me about this now. I'm not, (laughs) I said, I'm not there yet. I 
will be there, which I was there recently when people were teasing me about it. Um, but I just said, I was like, I would com- like never forgive myself if something was wrong. And I had this sense that every bone in my body said, this kid needs to go to the hospital. And for, for four more days on vacation, she had like an 104 fever. She couldn't oh, shake wow. it. And it was just a virus. But I think that um, my lesson in that is like, when you hear, when you feel that, and I think it's a very female thing. I don't think men have that same intuition and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Throw this baby in your body. You know them so well. And right. I think you know when something is off with them. And um, I didn't want anything to be wrong with her. I didn't want to go to the hospital and for them to say like, she has this terrible thing going on. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew if I hadn't gone, like I knew I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night. I would have been so worried about her. And it was just so different. She was so different than I'd ever seen her before. Um, and I think that you have to listen to those things. And I strongly believe that if you don't listen to those things, your instinct goes away. That if you yeah. don't pay attention to the voice in the back of your head saying, alert, this is wrong. Something is, is <laughs> there's an emergency. There's a crisis. That sense gets numbed away. So we have to listen. And what's the worst thing? Like I paid $500 for an insurance bill. I think that that to me felt worth it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. You just, you just got to relinquish and trust. Um, yeah. It's, it's there for a reason. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? So I have a whole, since I've been like in the seventh grade, I have a whole quote journal of different quotes from books that I've loved. But I heard one recently that I really, really loved. Um, A problem well put is half solved. It's a quote by John Dewey. And the um, reason I love the quote so much is it talked about if you can ask a question or present a question in a succinct way, you are more likely to get what you want than if you're vague about it. So for instance, like with Valentine's Day coming up, I think probably one of the most disappointing holidays in the world for lots of women, Mm -hmm. not in the world in America. If you say to your spouse, (laughs) I want to do something fun for Valentine's Day. Well, what does fun mean? Is it his definition of fun or yours? But if you say, which I did today for Valentine's Day, I want one Reese's peanut butter heart that are prepackaged. This has been going on for 10 years and my husband hasn't gotten it right yet. And then I sent a picture of the exact thing that I want. And I said, please don't get me dead flowers again, because that's what I've gotten the last three years. And frankly, I don't even want flowers. It seems to be silly to me. But the point in all of that is if you want to be satisfied, you need to ask some specifically for what you want. And this comes both in your personal life, but I have had excellent coworkers, one of which Maya Brooks, who you uh, mentioned before, who have really helped me to ask more succinct questions, more specific questions. And as a result, you get better answers. Mm, I love it. And that's so true. I think, I mean, even when you're on the receiving end, we, we tend to be um, a little bit more vague. So this is really good advice for us. But when someone's specific um, in their ask of us, we're like, oh yeah, done, got it. You're you're going to get exactly what you want, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so we just have to be that way too and not kind of beat around the bush. Totally. And I think that like the growth that I've had in personal relationships, professional relationships comes from saying to someone, this is what I need. And I think a lot of times if someone says, this is what I need from you, you can do it. But if they're vague, about it. Like, you know, I need you to be home more. Well, what does that mean? Like, you just want more hours with me at home or you want more time, the two of us at home or with our whole family at home. I think that that's such a great practice. And I really, I really want to strive to do much better at that. Yeah, I'm going to too. I like that. It's now time for mom hall when we share products we love. 
Now on to mom hall for all the product junkies out there. Um, I think we all are exposed to products all the time, whether it's on Instagram or online or through word of mouth. And so is there any such kind of product? It could be in tech or lifestyle or parenting related that you are just really loving right now. Can I give like a few? Yes. Oh my gosh. First of all, coterie diapers, which I got from the wing are absolutely incredible. My daughter has the worst diaper rash all of the time. And coterie are the only ones that don't give her a diaper rash. And they're like so soft. They're blanket. I love them. Oh, cool. That's my first one. Risewell toothpaste um, is uh, Corey Estrada's, uh, is a Hey Mama member. She's also mm-hmm. in Dreamers and Doers with me. Created this amazing toothpaste that does not have the chemicals that lots of toothpaste have. Um, there's also toothpaste for kids that's cake batter flavored that my one and a half year old daughter literally sucks out of the bottle, which Corey Ooh. says is safe, but you know, it's questionable if kids should be <laughs> sucking that much toothpaste, but it's so good. My kids love it. I love it. Um, and it's good to, it feels good that they're like having some things that are safe in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Peloton workout app, I'm absolutely obsessed with. It is so good. You don't need to have a Peloton to do it. It's like $13 um, a month and they have phenomenal workouts that you can do at home. You can do at a gym. If you have a Peloton bike or treadmill, you can do on those too. But I am really obsessed and I should be sponsored for all of those. But uh, yes, (laughs) but they're all really so incredible. Yes. Yes. So mine is one that many women already are aware of, but it's um, FabFitFun. And do you, are you a member of FabFitFun? Um, no, but I've gotten it for our au pair um, okay. because I thought that she would totally love it. That was our Christmas present to her, and she did totally love it. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Katie Rosen Kitchens is also a Hey Mama member. Mm-hmm. She's the founder. And so, yeah, I just I feel like it's a brilliant concept. And I know there's so many um, kind of direct-to-consumer um, boxes, you know, subscription companies out there, but FabFitFun was um, the first. And, you know, it's $50 a box and you get one every season. And so it's, if you don't get out of the house, like in my case, I just, (laughs) um, you know, I'm either working with clients or I'm with my kids and I just, I don't have time to shop for myself. So I love that this makes it feel like, you know, Christmas, every time I get a box at the door and I'm getting like wellness products and makeup and all that girly stuff that, you know, I love. (laughs) Um, where can my listeners find you? Um, well, if you're in Boston, you can find me in Boston. I'm willing to meet up with anybody oh, um, cool. at the wing there. But online, you can find me on Instagram at anderson.kate. And you can also find me on ifundwomen.com or email me at kate at ifundwomen.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kate. This was such an enlightening talk. And I know that there are um, tons of female entrepreneurs that were listening to this episode that are like, thank you so much much for clearing up any misconception I had about crowdfunding. And now they know about um, a platform that's willing to help them grow their business and in their lives, truly. Yeah. And I, well, I will chime in with one more thing. Like we really are connected with all the entrepreneurs in our platform. And it's something that I love about Women that I'll meet people in person. They'll say like, you know, I'm from Mouse Loves Pig. And I'll say, I love that project so much. Like you're Ruth. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you in person. And, and that's really such like a powerful thing. We really are not just, just kind of shoveling people through in a crowdfunding campaign. We're connecting with them. We know their campaigns and we want to see their success. Yes. Yes. That's so great. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. That's total mom sense.